Well, uh, this morning we are continuing our Build Again series, and it is all about stepping into this new season as a church family and, and, and doing a great work, but doing a great work together. This is what we see in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah leading the people to be about the collective work of God that he has set before them. And uh, we, we are going to see that again as we jump in to Nehemiah chapter 6 and 7. And the title of this morning's message is 52. All right? 52. That's 5-2. Okay, that was not my jersey number, uh, you know, in high school. All right? That was not the number of times that I pleaded with Marcia to, you know, say yes to me, asking her out on a date. All right? Uh, 52 is... A clue. Yes, I know you like that. 52 is a clue. 52 is a clue to the spectacular work that God is doing through his people as they lock arms and build again together. And so I want you to, to listen carefully as I read these words for us from Nehemiah 6 and 7. We've seen that the people were invited into this great work at the end of chapter 2 by Nehemiah. They caught a vision for the possible that the wall that was in shambles could be rebuilt around Jerusalem. And so with urgent devotion, they engaged in this collaborative work that's, yes, full of distinct diversity as all the different peoples from different occupations and genders and backgrounds come together to rebuild the wall completely around Jerusalem. And we saw last week that in spite of fierce headwinds, they built the wall to half its height. And now we see again that the headwind does not stop, but neither does the work. So listen for that clue that I just clued you into uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6. This is what the Word of God says. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was, there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambala and Geshem said to me, say, sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekaphrim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sam Ballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, 
no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Methodabil, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God. According to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan had the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first and I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, 
Azariah, Ramiah, Nehamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mesperath, Bigva, Nehem, Bana. The number of the men of the people of Israel. And we're going to stop right there. Now, I hope you caught the clue. Did you, did you catch the clue? Raise your hand if you caught the clue this morning. It's okay if I was just reading fast and you missed it, all right? But some of you caught the clue. Congratulations. Others of you, we're going to give you some help, all right? 52 represents the number of days, all right? Not weeks, not years, okay? 52 days it took for them to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And this was a spectacular work. There is, let me translate, there is no way that these people should have been able to rebuild the wall in only 52 days. And we know this because it says following that the nations around them were amazed and they were even fearful because they knew, hey, God must be with these people. So 52 days. That's why we're calling the sermon 52. But, but I want to caution us this morning as we take in this story that so often what we can do with God and the work of God is that we can see the work and we can be so amazed by the work that we forget or miss what it took to get the work done. In other words, we can be so focused on that the wall was built that we miss how it was built. And so this morning, as we think about building again as a church family in this new season as a church, I want to invite us to ask this question. Listen, what is required to complete the great work that God puts in our hearts? I mean, this, this question is so relevant for you as an individual, whatever you, God has called you to and assigned you to, but it is certainly relevant for the people of God as a whole scattered throughout the globe, even down to local churches like Redemption Hill. What is required to get the work done? And the answer is simply this. Great work requires great character. Great work requires great character. We could say it another way. The work of our hands requires the great work, the great character of our hearts. The great work of our hands requires the great character of our hearts. And so what I want to do is this. I want to work through these chapters by giving you four heart-level qualities of great character that we see amongst the people of God as they rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and do God's great work. Number one, what we see at the beginning of chapter six is they had intense focus. Intense focus focus. We find in verse 1 that it says that the wall had been built to the point that there was no breaches in the wall. In other words, there were no weak or vulnerable low-lying points where an enemy could easily get through. And just as we saw in chapter uh, 4 and 5, this, this did not please the, the enemies of the people of God. And so it says in verse 2 that these great enemies, Sambala and Tobiah and, and Geshem, they hear about this. And so they begin to scheme, hey, how can we distract? How can we pull them away from the great work? 
And so they devised this plan. Hey, let's, let's call for Nehemiah and, and let's invite him for, you know, a counseling session. Hey, we really want to help you, Nehemiah. We, so we know we were like saying bad stuff about you and insulting you for the longest time. But, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, we just want to help out now. So would you come on out to the plain of Ono? We want to just see how we can help you out. Well, how does Nehemiah respond? He responds with one of the greatest statements, not just in the book of Nehemiah, but I would say one of the great statements of the Bible when he says, I am doing a great work. Hey, you can go tell Tobiah and Sambala and Geshem, I am doing a great work. And guess what? I am not coming down. And, and these guys, I mean, they're, they're so persistent. The text tells us in verse uh, three and four that they come to him four different times saying the same thing. Hey, come and meet us on the plane of honor. We, we just want to talk to you. We just want to figure these things out together. And Nehemiah each and every time says, listen, I am so engaged in a great work of God that I am not going to be distracted by your schemes. I am so committed to what God has called me to that I will not be, let my attention be divided. You can tell them one more time that I am doing a spectacularly great work and one thing I am not doing is moving from this wall. This is the level of focus that Nehemiah has in the great work that God has called us to. And I just want to say thank you, Nehemiah for having this kind of intensity of focus because this, listen, this is a word that we need to hear in our day. This is a word that we need to hear in our homes, for our homes, for our marriages, for our friendships. Yes, for the great work of God's love mission in the world. And I want to give you a few reasons as we think about why this is such a timely word, why we need to hear this word and really take it in for our, you know, work together as a church family. But whatever great work that God calls you to, we have all kinds of great assignments and responsibilities that God calls us to live out in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the home, in friendships, in ministries of mercy, whatever it is. And so we need to think about why this is so important. Well, number one, I would say this. We live in an age of distraction. We live in an age of distraction. You and I both know, listen, there are so many things that are shouting to us, hey, come down, get off the wall. And for, for most of us, listen, for most of us, most of the time, it's not people, thank, thank God, it's not people. It's not the Sambalas and Tobias and Geshems of our, of our uh, world, but it is good things like work and relationships that become, listen, consuming things. It's, it's these good things that, that begin to crowd out our devotion to God. So we need to take inventory on how we're, we're valuing the good things in our life to make sure it's not crowding out our intense devotion to God. But then number two, you know this, we live in a technological age. We know that this age of distraction is seen in just one grab of the cell phone or one click away, right? I am not going to get on a hypocritical soapbox this morning, but you probably already know that the average American spends roughly three to five hours on our phones. 
You notice I said on our phones. And, 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 and listen, we should at minimum evaluate where we are and say, God, would you help me? Lead me to the path of wisdom and life. It's not that phone, phones aren't bad. I'm not saying throw away your phone. Not that we can't do some really good things with our phones, but you and I both know how distracting our phones can be and all of the technology around us, and it can press in to our love and burning devotion to God. So we need this word because we live in an age of distraction, but we also need this word because we live in an age of deception. Has anyone seen Satan working overtime the past two years? Has, any, has anyone seen it? I mean, I, I hope so. All you have to do is really turn on the news and you should be like, oh, like this, there's an enemy and he doesn't like what, you know, is happening in the world. And so... Like we can just, we see it all around and we shouldn't surprise us. Why? Because we know the schemes of the evil one. We read the scriptures and we can see, look, Satan loves to attack us when we are tired, when we are vulnerable, when we are weak. Marcia, just Friday night, we were, we were reflecting together and and she said, look, you know, as we kind of, it seems kind of make our way toward the end of pandemic, maybe now endemic, whatever. And you know, the, the Satan has had such a field day and in the lives of people and relationships and marriages and all of these different ways that, that we should expect that he is going to do all that he can as we come to the end to milk this season for all it's worth. And so it's a warning. Listen, we need to be on our guard. We need to pay attention. We need to be ready to resist him in every possible way. But then number three on the pile, yes, this is the age of this, the distraction and an age of deception. But, but most importantly, we are called to be devoted to an invaluable work. We have been invited. Listen, listen, I really hope you believe this. We cannot be reminded of this enough, all right? You have been invited in to the greatest work the world has ever known that is not only participating in the story of God through his love in Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, but now we get to experience all of this life, love, joy, peace, hope, you fill in the blank, and we get to extend our experience to other people because Jesus sent us out and he said, freely you have received, freely give. This is the greatest work that we have ever been given. This is why we're focused as a church of not just seeing God do a great work in the people known as Redemption Hill, but spreading the message, spreading the news all over greater Medford and greater Boston so that more and more people can discover who Jesus is and find the abundant and eternal life that is found in him and him alone. And so I just have to ask you this morning, and maybe if you're anything like me, you know, the past two years have kind of, you know, poured a little water on your missional flame and your sense of assignment and even the remembrance that you have been called to a great work and God has given us everything we need to accomplish that great work. And maybe just maybe you need to hear that when we greatly value something, when we greatly value a particular work, then there will be a proportional relationship in the intensity of our focus. 
So, so I'm, just, I'm just saying this. This is just, this is just how life works, okay? If you are not very focused on God and his mission, it is a reflection that at least in this moment or season, you are not placing a very high value on it. And I don't say that, no judgment, okay? We all, we're all there, we're all been there. And I'm not, saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm filled up to the brim, you know what I'm saying? Like, pray for me. But we need to remember, we have been called to a great work together and we need to have intense focus because what Nehemiah and his friends reflect is nothing other, yes, than the heart of Jesus Christ. In John chapter nine, Jesus would say it like this, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Jesus lived with a sense of urgency. He knew his assignment. He knew who sent him. He knew what he was called to do. And he was going to give it everything he had all the way to the cross of Calvary to see it come to pass. So number one, listen, great character is reflected in an intense focus. But then number two, what we find in Nehemiah as he responds to the opposition is we see resilient dependence. Resilient dependence. In verse five, we see that they come back not for the third or fourth time, they come back for a fifth time. And this fifth time, they aren't just delivering a personal private message to Nehemiah. Okay, they bring an open letter. An open letter is for everyone to read and to discover that it has been reported. Now, can we just stop right there and can we ask who reported? I mean, this is so often the case when it comes to this or that. It's like, oh, they said or they think or they reported. It's like, Okay, can we put a name on it? That would be helpful because uh, we can kind of even begin to read in to these schemes. But what was reported? It is reported that Nehemiah and the people are planning a rebellion against King Artaxerxes. In other words, the claim is this. King sent them to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and now Nehemiah and his companions have no integrity. They have no loyalty, but they are actually planning an insurrection against King Artaxerxes. In fact, Nehemiah has this so planned out that he has already coordinated with the prophets to as soon as they uh, you know, name him king, they're gonna, they're gonna proclaim it, they're gonna blow the trumpets and all of this is going down very soon. And Nehemiah responds with a two-directional reply. First, he responds, I like this, with honesty and courage. Verse eight, he says this, no such things as you say have been done. And he's just straight up, you're inventing them out of your own mind. What, what Nehemiah is saying is, listen, you are lying. You are creating false narratives for your benefit and our harm. And so we're just going to call a spade a spade. And we're even going to see that your motive is what in verse 9, it says that they wanted to frighten them thinking their hands will drop from the work. I mean, we said this last week, but you, we can't hear this enough, okay? Because this is me just trying to love you as a pastor and warn you that this is how it works, okay? When you get serious about the kingdom of God, when you start laying your life down day by day and saying, God, my life is yours. Whatever you say goes, I'm gonna live on mission for you. I'm gonna care less about myself and more about others and more about you. Then I can just tell you that hell is not going to like it. And you are going to start facing opposition. 
This is just the headwinds are going to come. They're going to come from different directions. They're going to come in different forms, but they will come. We see this all throughout the Gospels and the life of Christ, and we see it throughout the book of Acts and the early church. Opposition is guaranteed when you are doing a great work. The greater the work, the greater the target. The greater the work, the greater the opposition. In fact, as my friend Stephen Mook would say, the intensity of the opposition is because of the enormity of the gospel opportunity. And I know that's a mouthful, and you might not even heard what I said, and you might want to write it down, so I'm going to say it again, right? The, the intensity of the opposition, the headwind that is coming against you, coming against our church, right? Listen, it is because of the enormity, the size of the gospel opportunity, God is doing a great work, not just in our church, but in our city. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and it's like, you know, just this week, some, some new people who have come to Redemption Hill grew up in New England. They're like, you know, there would have been like one church that we could have visited and now there are like multiple, like God is doing a great work. We can expect the headwinds to come. So first, Nehemiah responds with honesty and courage, but then secondly, Nehemiah does what Nehemiah always does, which is what? He praise. We see at the end of verse 9, after he sees that they want to make his hands fall from the work, he says what? Oh God, now God, would you strengthen my hands just one more time? One more time, God, would you strengthen my hands? Like, I know I've asked you, I asked you in chapter one, and then we asked you in chapter two, and then I asked you in chapter four, and I'm coming back in chapter six, and I am asking you, God, strengthen, this is how we pray, strengthen our hands. We, we might be tempted. You might be tempted. As you read about Nehemiah, I've talked about this before, you know, so many people want to reduce Nehemiah to a book on leadership. Hey, you want to be a great leader? Look at Nehemiah, great leader. He was a great leader, no doubt about it. But, but we might look to Nehemiah and say, Wow, Nehemiah, you are so great. You are so unflappable. Nehemiah, you have a resiliency that we haven't seen in other leaders that have come around Jerusalem. And we might think that Nehemiah really has more to do with it than he actually does. Because what we find as we read the book is this, Nehemiah's vision and Nehemiah's wisdom and Nehemiah's strength they all come from God who is everything to him. This is, this is how we live the Christian life. The Christian life from beginning to end is one all of grace. It's because of the grace of God that we are who we are. So we remember verses like Ephesians 6.10 that says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We remember 2 Timothy 1, uh, 2 verse 1 that says, be strengthened by the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. We remember Psalms like Psalm 18.1 that simply declares, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And then we step back and we remember we are only strong as we stay connected to God's strength. I hope you hear that. We are only strong as we stay connected to God's strength. And one more time, let's look to the true and greater Nehemiah, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, verse 19, he says what? Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing. 
of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. Jesus is the perfect example of resilient dependence. He is saying, everything that I do, I'm doing it because that's what I see God doing and what God wanting me, the Father wanting me to do. And now this is our privilege as well as those who follow Jesus. If you want to live a life of resilient dependence, You stay connected to Jesus. What does he say in John 15, verse 5? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The job of a branch is to stay connected to the vine because the vine is the life source. So he goes on to say, whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Resilient dependence. But then number three as the chapter moves on we see that Nehemiah also operates not just with an intense focus, not just with resilient dependence, but also discerning conviction. Now, now it's kind of wild, right? Like we see like, okay, this chapter starts and they, and they you know, try to pull him out to the plains and then, you know, uh, the chapter goes on and open letter. And, you know, we might think like they might just kind of calm down, but the hits keep coming. It says in verse 10 that Nehemiah goes and visits someone who should have been a trusted source. His name was Shemaiah. He was a prophet. And prophets are supposed to speak for who? God, right? So so a prophet should be a trusted source. And Nehemiah visits this prophet and the prophet gives him what is probably a prophecy because he's telling him what's about to happen. And he's saying, hey, people are about to come and kill you. They're going to come at night. And not just that, Nehemiah, not only am I doing you a good one by giving you a heads up, but I'm going to do you an even better one because I've devised a plan that will help you be protected and stay safe. What we're going to do is because, you know, I got some connections at the temple. All right, we're going to go to the temple and we're going to hide out there. And Nehemiah's wheels are turning. And his wheels are turning back to Scripture. And he calls out, with discernment and conviction, the errors that are found within Shemaiah's prophecy. By the way, we, we believe that God speaks through uh, people and, 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 and prophecies, and we always test and weigh out anything that anyone says, especially if, hey, I think God might want you to hear this. All right, we're always going to test that first against Scripture, and then we're going to pray through it and all this. So this is what Nehemiah is testing it. And he says what in verse 11? He replies with two questions. He says, should such a man as I run away? In other words, listen, I I am the leader of the people. And to run at a rumor not only discredits my leadership, but it will discourage my people. So guess what? I'm not running. But then number two, the more egregious error is this. He says the second question, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? You see, Nehemiah knew God's word. He had not only a knowledge of God's word, but he had a conviction around God's word to actually live it out. And he knew that in Numbers chapter 18, verse 7, it said that anyone who did not have access to the temple that came into the temple could be guilty of a capital offense. And though Nehemiah is a leader of the the people, he knows that only priests are the ones to enter the temple. 
And so he can see through Shemaiah's schemes that he is actually asking him to do something that God has forbidden. And this is a great help to us. If anyone, listen, if anyone ever asks you to do something that is contrary to the word of God, it doesn't matter if it's your mama, it doesn't matter if it's grandmama, it don't matter if it's Pastor Tanner, all right? If anyone ever says to you to do something that you think contradicts this book, listen, you don't listen to them, you listen to God. Which also reminds us that we need to Fill our lives with people who are going to give us true counsel, godly counsel. Encourage us as we seek to live for God. But I love, I love Nehemiah's heart. After he exposes this, he, he sees that, that, that actually Shemaiah was hired by Tobiah and Sambala to do this evil work. He actually, what, he doesn't launch a counterattack? Though he may have been justified in doing so, he does it, what he does always, he goes to God in prayer and he says, God, I'm trusting you to bring justice and judgment where it is needed. And so Nehemiah would teach us, listen, our greatest help to the challenges that we face in life, whatever the challenge may be, is the word of God the voice of God expressed in his word and the voice of the Holy Spirit leading us to keep in step with his word. And this is what we see once again in the life of Jesus Christ when Satan was tempting him at a point when he was weak, when he was vulnerable, when he was hungry, when he hadn't eaten for 40 days because he was praying and fasting and that intensely focused, yes, on his relationship with the Father and the great work that he was setting before him in his ministry and to accomplish the salvation of the world. Satan comes in, aren't you hungry? Hey, don't they, like, won't God protect you? Like he said, angels will uphold you. And then at the end of all of those temptations, he, he says, hey, in, in Matthew 4, verses 9 and 10, all this I will give you, I'll, I'll give you the world, Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me. But what is Jesus doing? Some of us need to get this in our repertoire, all right? Some of us are scared to talk to the devil, but Jesus talked to the devil. We, we follow Jesus so we can talk to the devil. I'm just, I'm like, it's right here. Be gone, Satan. Satan gets up in your business. Get up out of here. I'm gonna sing a praise song. I'm gonna get down on my knees. I'm gonna do whatever I have to do because I've fallen for your tricks and your temptations one too many times. And this time, Satan, it's not happening. Be gone. But it's not just a rebuke. It's a rejection based on what? The word of God. Because it is written, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Nehemiah and the people display an intense focus. Resilient dependence, discerning conviction. And then finally we see this at the end of chapter 6 moving through chapter 7. They reveal a heart that is full of empowered perseverance. Empowered perseverance. In verse 15, we receive the climactic news that the wall is finished. 
And as we pointed out, it is finished in 52 days. This is an astounding work that no one could believe. It is so astounding and spectacular that the nations around them and the surrounding enemies say in verse 16 that they are full of fear and they fell greatly in their own esteem. Why? Because they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of Nehemiah's God. They knew the power, like here's the chance, the power of God is with these people, so we better not mess with them. These are empowered people. We've seen this throughout the book of Nehemiah. God's good hand was upon them. Chapter two, verse eight, God put these things into their heart. Chapter two, verse 12, God will make them prosper. Chapter two, verse 20, God frustrated the plans of their enemies. Chapter four, verse 15, God will fight for them. Chapter four, verse 20. This is why the work is getting done and it's getting done so fast. Listen, speed isn't always success, all right? We, it's not always like the, 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 the fastest that gets things done, all right? You know, so, but, but listen, quicker is better if God is in it, and God was in it. So they get this work done, but then one more time, I gotta be honest, like I'm even getting fatigued at like preaching this to you, okay? Like one more time, the opposition comes after the work is done, in verses 17 through 19. And this is, this is wild. This is how Satan works, all right? Tobiah has these pre-existing relationships with the nobles and some of the, uh, the, the officials in Jerusalem. And so he, you know, sends these letters and the people that are loyal to him, he has them speak well of Tobiah in Nehemiah's presence, which, which must just have been, you know, like nails on the chalkboard. Oh, he's so great. We love Tobiah. What a great guy. He, say, he loves our people. And Nehemiah is just keeping his mouth shut over there. Like, God, help me not say something right now. You know, you've ever been there. And then, you know, and then not only that, but these people were like moles in the presence of Nehemiah, that the things that Nehemiah was saying behind closed doors, they went out and reported it to the enemies of Nehemiah and his people. So what we see happening here is this. Like you, you might expect as a reader of the book of Nehemiah that once the wall is completed and finished and built, that the opposition would stop. But the opposition does not stop. You say, Tanner, why is that? Why is it that they're continuing to oppose Nehemiah in the work? Here's why. The wall was never really about the wall. The first six chapters of the book of Nehemiah take up the rebuilding of the wall, but whoa, how many chapters are in the book of Nehemiah? Thirteen. So what we have in chapter 7 is a transition chapter that is showing a movement from the rebuilding of the wall to the rebuilding of the people. It's about the rebuilding of the people of God in their love relationship with him. And so if Tobiah and Sambala and Geshem and all of their friends cannot stop the rebuilding of the wall, they're going to keep working to see if they can stop the rebuilding of the people. And so Nehemiah, we see him appointing leaders with integrity. They're faithful, God-fearing people that are going to work for the protection of the city and the good of the people and the glory of God. 
But then as the the work of rebuilding the people begins, we see in verse 5 of chapter 7, I love this. It says that, what? Let's look at this together. Then my God, same language of chapter 2, verse 12, put into my heart, same language of chapter 2, verse 12, something else. And, and, And I hope this encourages you because, listen, God is a personal God. He is a living God. He is not giving us static vision. He is not giving us a vision that is intended to be stale, but he'll tell us one step and then he'll tell us a next step. I love that God is a personal God, that he wants to walk with us step by step, day by day, year by year, decade by decade. That's why we need to remain sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually and yes, collectively as Redemption Hill Church to say, God, whatever it is that you want us to do, our yes is on the table, but help us to hear your voice and to follow exactly what you are saying to us. You guys good? It must be the mask. I can't hear you. Amen. So, (laughs) hey, masks are coming off soon. We believe it. We see it um, for those that are desiring that. Um, Okay, so (laughs) what, what is going on with this new work that God is putting into his heart? It says in verse five that he wants to discover the people enrolled by genealogy. Here's what's going on here in chapter 7. Nehemiah sees that though the walls are built, the city remains vastly underpopulated. There were not enough people in the city of Jerusalem, A, to protect the city against an oncoming attack so the city was vulnerable. But then number two, more importantly, he knows that the prophecies of the prophets like Zechariah 8 verses 4 and 5 are remaining unfulfilled. And what did they say? They said, thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age. And the streets, I love this, and the streets, we love redemption, the, the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. This is what Nehemiah saw. He knew this is what God was going to do. So he takes an inventory of the people to say, hey, we need some more people in the city. What we see happening in Nehemiah 6 and 7 is that the empowering presence of God is giving Nehemiah and his friends perseverance to continue the great work that God has set before them. And this is our story as well. God has called us to a great work. And the great work Jesus gave it to us is really the same. It is building his church It is letting more and more people know about the story of God in Jesus Christ so that they can experience the story and go deeper and deeper into the story to increasing health and maturity until we meet Jesus face to face. And this is what you and I have been invited into. So again, we keep talking about building again. I hope it gets you a little bit excited because you're not just a spectator in the mission of God, but you are an active participant to say, we see a church 
full of people that are loving God with everything they've got because they've been loved by God so greatly. We see a church full of people that are going to walk together and live like family when the headwinds come because we love one another and want to help each other keep marching forward. We see a church where people are generously giving of their time and their service through their spiritual gifts to see more and more people know what we know, which is what? Jesus is greater and better than anything life can give or death can take away. This is the work we're called to. And it is a great work. And it doesn't matter if we can, like we said last week, we are going to make a decision in this season, whether it's this Sunday for you, whether you already made it last Sunday on February 13th, we're saying we are doing a great work. And guess what? We're not coming down. This is the invitation that God is giving us. And we remember that every great work of God requires great character to lean into the heart of God and to be empowered by his love as we move forward together. Let's, let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Father, we know, we know that we live in an age of distraction and we live in an age of deception but we also know that we live in the age of the Spirit. That though we may face plenty of headwind in life, we know that the tailwind, the tailwind of your Holy Spirit keeps us intensely focused and resiliently dependent and to operate with discerning conviction and to keep moving forward by your empowering presence that helps us persevere. And so God, I'm asking you right now, not only would there be dozens and dozens of people who are a part of our church that are saying, I'm all in. We're called to a great work. We're going to do it together. But that we would say, well, God, we're going to engage in this great work with the help that you provide and with a reflection of Jesus Christ, the true and greater Nehemiah. So Lord, we, we confess today, hey, we're not going to stop, but God, we confess also that we can't do it on our own. No, we need you, Lord. So fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Give us a fresh resolve, Lord. Give us a fresh vision. Lord, give us a fresh commitment to community to say, hey, we're not going to leave them behind. Yes, they're hurting and they're suffering and they're going through just all kinds of craziness. But we love them too much to, to watch them suffer and fall behind. No, we're going to hold their hand and we're going to walk forward together. And we'll walk until we can run. And then when we run, God, we're going to run for you. So God, would you empower us now as we seek to give you everything we've got? We pray this in Jesus' name.